Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, I am your host, Dylan Bowman, and I'm always very happy to have you here, especially today for another very fun episode with an absolute stud of an athlete, another rising star with ridiculous talent who at only 26 years old, has already amassed an amazing resume of achievements in the sport. Today, we are talking to Adam Peterman from Missoula, Montana. And if you don't know who Adam is, if you've never heard his name before, I do not blame you. He has only a small social media footprint as of now. He is new to the sport, but this kid could very well be the next great American ultra star. He came into my awareness just this past July when he won the Speedgoat 50K and in the process broke the existing already insanely fast course record set by the great Jim Walmsley back in 2017. And by doing so, he joined Hayden Hawks as the only athletes ever to take down a Jim Walmsley held record. This kid has real talent and he is only 26 years old, already putting up times commensurate with some of the best athletes our sport has ever seen. And as you'll hear in our conversation, he's totally just a sweet, humble, and gracious kid who genuinely loves the game, which makes me very happy and optimistic about the future of our great sport. This was Adam's first podcast ever. What an honor. So we did a deep dive on his background growing up in Montana, his special relationship with ultra legend Mike Foote, also a Montanan. We talked about his time at the University of Colorado before we transition to talking about this season, which has been absolutely amazing for him. In addition to his win at Speedgoat, Adam also finished second at the Pikes Peak Marathon. He won the USATF Trail Marathon Championship championships in Moab in November, and then went on to win the JFK 50 a few weeks ago in the second fastest time ever. And so, you know, he's had an insane season and he's only just getting started and we talk all about it. And then at the end, uh, we also talk all about Adam's goals for the future. And I got to give him lots of unsolicited advice as an aging veteran of the circuit. And it was just so fun for me to be able to talk to this kid who really does represent the next chapter of our sport. I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. It is brought to you by Comprasport. Comprasport is an amazing European compression and apparel brand that is core to our amazing sport. Based at the footsteps of the Alps in Annecy, France, Comprasport has been a longtime supporter of me personally and a longtime producer of very high quality socks, calf sleeves, apparel of all kinds, packs, racing vests, hats, and other great trail running products. They are much more well known in the European market, but like I said, they've been very supportive for me over the course of many years and I couldn't speak more highly of them on a human level but also the products incredibly high quality and I would absolutely provide my full personal endorsement really aside from footwear Comprasport makes everything and makes everything very well I wear the full length compression socks in every race that I do and often also in long training runs and workouts where I feel I need the extra support so go check them out Comprasport.com stock up 
on some Christmas gifts for yourself or your fellow trail runners in your life for whom you're going to be shopping over the next couple of weeks. Thank you to Copper Sport also for sponsoring our new film, Begin Again, which premiered on Sunday on the Free Trail YouTube channel. If you haven't done so, go watch the film and laugh at my suffering for 44 minutes. Uh, the response has been amazing, and I think you guys would really enjoy it if you do enjoy the show. This is also a really awesome piece of content that I think you will enjoy. Thank you so much again to Copper Sport. Uh, again, uh, our guest today is Adam Peterman. Let's get to that now, all the way from Missoula, Montana. Please welcome this young rising star. Adam Peterman, welcome to the podcast, man. Your first podcast ever. I have the honor to host you. Welcome to the show. Yeah. First one ever. Thanks so much. Uh, yeah. Excited to chat. Yeah, man. Well, yeah, as we were just talking about, this is our first time meeting each other, uh, through the miracle of the zoom platform. And I am so excited to get to know you, to learn a lot more about you and learn at the same time that the audience is, uh, you know, to be honest, you know, aside from this season, I have not, you know, you haven't been on my radar, but of course this year has been a huge year for you. Absolutely amazing performances and super consistent. And it feels like it's the tip of the iceberg. It's the start of something really special. So I'm excited to have you on the show and talk all about it, but let's start from the beginning, man. Take us back. Where are you from? What was your childhood like? Tell us about Adam Peterman, oh, the man. kid. Yeah, tell yeah. us about it. <laughs> well, thanks for all the kind words. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, I live in Montana. I grew up in Missoula, Montana, uh, and I live here now. Um, yeah, but I just went to college in Boulder, Colorado, but that's about it. I've pretty much lived in Montana my whole life. Um, but yeah, if you've never been to Missoula, Montana, it's a pretty awesome place to be like into the outdoor world. Uh, you know, like from town, we have so many different hiking trails. If you like fishing, we have like all sorts of rivers you can fish and like great mountain biking peaks everywhere. So it's kind of like the ideal place in my opinion to be and like, like such a great place to grow up. Yeah. Well, I grew up in Boulder, Colorado, which is where you went to school. Oh, right on. Yeah. It's the yeah. same thing, man. It was like, you know, as a kid, I went through phases where it was like, ah, I'm too cool to go hiking with my dad, you know, and now yeah. just looking back, it's like, wow, I was so lucky to grow up there. And it really has influenced the trajectory of my life and my career. In fact, I was just back in Boulder for Thanksgiving. And it was so funny just chatting with my mom again about my childhood and seeing where I am now. And one of the things that I just love or just has, fascinates me about my development as a human being and specifically as an athlete was just, you know, growing up in the mountains, growing up sort of mm -hmm. at altitude and in a very active community. And then my friends and I, basically the only way we moved around town, our mode of transportation was our bicycle. You know, I grew up yeah, like just yeah. riding around, never raced, never viewed it as exercise. I only viewed it as transportation, but I really think it helped me to develop as an athlete. So talk about, you know, what, what it was like growing up in Montana. Were you an outdoorsy kid? Did you grow up in an outdoorsy family? Yeah. You know, um, my dad and mom are pretty outdoorsy, but especially my dad, like would take us on hikes and every year we'd try to summit like a new peak. 
And so we'd always joke like, oh yeah, someday we'll do Mount Everest. Like if we do enough peaks, but that was when I was a little kid, like I didn't understand that you could do a peak every year and not hit Mount Everest. <laughs> um, but yeah, we would, you know, we'd usually go backpacking like twice a summer, three times a summer and then do that peak. And, but like, I guess when I was younger, um, like the outdoors weren't really my main thing. Like when I was in middle school, it, I played a lot of music. Like I played the bass guitar and band and, uh, yeah, I was really into solving Rubik's cubes, like just kind of fun <laughs> stuff like that. Um, but I didn't, I ran a little bit, uh, when I was like before middle school, I think my mom had me do like a, like a runner's world, like couch to 5k plan. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, other than that, I didn't actually really start running until middle school. I started in like sixth grade track, stuff like that. Cool. Are you still musically inclined? Do you still play? I, you know, I pick it up every once in a while. Like I can still read sheet music, yeah. but I, like, I wish I did it more. Yeah. Like every time I do it, I wish I did it more. Um, but if I don't have sheet music, I'm kind of lost. Mm -hmm. That's the weird thing. I think because of the band background, like uh, we weren't super creative. We would just like read music and play. Yeah. Have you, yeah. this is a tangent a little bit. Have you seen this new Beatles documentary on Disney plus? Oh no. I'll get back. Oh, it's, it's so cool. Harmony and I, and my wife started watching it last night. And as you talked about playing the bass, uh, you know, I was just admiring Paul McCartney, you know, with his, oh, yeah. le his left-handed bass playing. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. It's yeah. really cool. You should check it out. But I'll so you, out. you got connected with the sport of running in middle school. Was it mm -hmm. an instant moment of, uh, I mean, was it like a revelation, like a discovering of some innate talent that you had? Tell us about that. I think, yeah, I think like the first year I did it, it was not like, I remember doing the mile in sixth grade and one of the girls beat me, but she was really good. Like I remember <laughs> I ran like a six ten or six minute mile and I was pretty happy. And then the next meet, like she beat me. Uh, and so I was like, kind of, I didn't really realize if I was good or not, but uh, I stuck with it. I did cross country in seventh grade and Missoula would have like a cross country team for all the middle schoolers. It wasn't just like each middle school so you it was kind of cool you got to meet like all the kids from the other schools um but that that's where i realized i might have had like a little bit of potential like mm. i would usually win like the little meets we had in missoula but then you'd always hear of these kids who lived up in the flathead which is an area like maybe two three hours north of us and you'd hear like the times the kids ran in the flathead and i was like it was just they would blow me out of the water really like uh whatever I ran, I think I ran like a 520 mile in seventh grade or eighth grade. And like these kids would be running like 445 or something. Huh. And so I'd always hear about them and be like, Oh man, like I got a long way to go. So yeah, I don't know. In Missoula, I felt like I was decent, but yeah, you'd hear rumors. So, but at some point you became very, very good. I mean, you went to the university of Colorado, which is one of the best programs around. So at what point was it like a very serious part of your life? And at what point was the talent really evident? Was it like the puberty time? Yeah, probably around then. Like I was pretty, I was definitely pretty small as a kid. Mm. Like I remember being a freshman in high school and being like 
not even a hundred pounds and like really? five, five, three. Cause, cause now like you're a taller guy. Now. Yes. Yeah. Me too, dude. We're the, we got us big guys got to stick together. You know, this <laughs> yeah. is why, this is why I'm now a fan of yours. And I'm going to root for you Clyde's, from now Clyde's on. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, big guys um, got to stick together. So yeah, yeah no, pick up there. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Well, so I ran, I ran for a program here in Missoula called Hellgate high school. That's the mm -hmm. name of the high school is Hellgate. Um, pretty awesome name, but, uh, <laughs> I was pretty lucky because the coach there, he's, he was there for a while and he's still the coach now. Um, and he's just awesome dude. Anders is his name. Uh, so Anders was the head coach and then Mike foot happened to be the assistant coach. Like his first year of assistant coaching was my first year of high school. And so I think I really lucked out having those two guys. And then another assistant coach named M who like stuck with it the whole time that I was there. And I had like really consistent coaching and it was just awesome. Like, you know, and like I said, in middle school, I played music and did these other things, but I never really felt like I was very good at anything. Mm. And with running, like, I felt like I was good at it. And like, just the team was so nice and everyone was like super supportive. Um, like it definitely felt like you immediately had a hundred friends at Hellgate. Yep. Yep. Um, and I really liked that. Um, that's the miracle it, of sports, dude. That's why yeah, I think playing sports is so important for kids because not only does it help you learn how to win and lose and be a good sport, but yeah, it also gives you friendships. It teaches you how to interact with people. And now there's like a bunch of research about how kids aren't enrolling in sports as much. And mm. it sort of coincides with the rise of social media and oh, spending our sense. lives yeah. in digital space. Yeah. But it's like, man, without that in my life, I would have been an absolute basket case. I don't even know what I would have done, you know? Oh, dude. Yeah. Like, I mean, everyone's kind of awkward in middle school, but because I solved, like I did the Rubik's cube and all these other things <laughs> yes. I made, I made YouTube videos in middle school Yeah, and I've since deleted them, but like <laughs> even watching them a couple of years ago, like I couldn't even watch them. They were so yeah. embarrassing. Dude. Um, yeah. And so I think running definitely helps like develop just a little bit of confidence, yeah. uh, at least some social skills. <laughs> this is funny. I mean, it's just coming into my head, but you know, the musical brain and the Rubik's cube mm -hmm. skill or talent. I mean, it's a indication probably that you have a brain that likes solving problems. Is this yeah. sort of something that translates into your running? Do you have a similar feeling with like your training and approaching different races about like how you could piece together the Rubik's cube? You know, maybe like I definitely write out my training and try to be like somewhat meticulous about it. So maybe that's it. Like it's nice too, that running is so consistent. Like you have that consistency every day, but uh, yeah, maybe, maybe the Rubik's cube just brought this all on. <laughs> Look at me. I'm, <laughs> back I'm, in middle uh, school. I'm doing a, I'm psychoanalyzing you here on the podcast, but yeah, uh, no, it might be true. Yeah, cool. Uh, that's hilarious. Well, you mentioned our mutual friend, Mike foot, shout out to Mike foot. One of the true gentlemen on the circuit. Oh yeah. And one of the he, greatest guys. For one sure. of the greatest dudes. And he posted something on his Instagram the other day, which I'm going to read out loud at risk of embarrassing you, but I think it's awesome. And then we can kind of go into it because yeah, I think it, sure. this is a good time to sort of put this on the table because it sort of encapsulates the entire arc of, you know, at least from high school to where you are now. So yeah. this is again from Mike Foote's Instagram. And what he says is it's a picture of a bunch of pictures of you guys together back when you were younger. And it says, 
Throwback to 2012, when this kid on the cross-country team I assistant coached asked me to be a mentor for his senior project. His goal, a human-powered trip from Death Valley to the summit of Mount Whitney to raise funds for a program dedicated to getting youth outdoors. I, of course, said yes, and in the middle of December, we drove down to California. On day one, we biked our way 135 miles from Death Valley to the Whitney Portal. And after very little sleep and an alpine start on day two, we climbed to the highest point in the contiguous U.S. on the winter solstice. Mm -hmm. Not bad for a 17-year-old kid. Well, (laughs) he continues, well, almost a decade later, that scrawny high schooler has wrapped up one of the best seasons of any trail runner out there. A win in course record at the Speedgoat 50K a second place at Pikes Peak Marathon, a win in course record at the USATF Trail Champs at the Moab Marathon, and a huge win missing the course record by seconds at the JFK 50 this last weekend. Most admirably, he had this great season while remaining engaged in his community, working as an assistant coach for the same high school cross-country program where we first met on his first day of practice as a freshman in 2009. Yep. And also by working for our little events company at Runner's Edge Montana and helping so many in our community have fun and challenge themselves at our races. Congrats, Adam Peterman, on an incredible year. Can't wait to see what's next for you. Hashtag, this is the best part. Hashtag, they grow up so fast. Oh, man. <laughs> Dude, I mean, I freaking yeah. love this, man. I freaking love it so, so much. And the photos that accompany it are are special too. And I'll make oh, sure to so link to this particular post in the show notes so people can see this. But seriously, a goosebumps thing. And, and very kind words from Mike Foote, who's a, a legend, a veteran of the sport and, and somebody who does embody the the values and the ethos of the sport as well. But I want to go into basically all that stuff from the post, but first yeah, tell us yeah. about this, this high school project from oh, man. Death Valley to the summit of Mount Whitney. How did that come to be? Well, Mike is just the best guy. Like I couldn't have been luckier to have him be like starting his year as assistant coaching when I was starting high school, you know, like, uh, he was just, he would run a lot with us. And it was also as like, as he came to be the ultra runner that he is today was like that time of his life too. You know, like mm-hmm. I think his first hundred miler was my freshman year. Um, and then by my senior year, I want to say he was like top three at UTMB one of those years. And so yeah, he kind of came out of the woodwork and then just like rose to being one of the best in the world. Like, while we were on the same page at Hellgate. So it was really, really cool to see that. Um, but yeah, back to the senior project. Um, yeah. So every senior at Hellgate high school has to do some form of project, um, where you do something challenging, try to involve the community. And then at the end of the year, you give a big presentation and write a big report about it. And it's like a huge percent of your government grade or something like that. Mm. Um, so yeah, I knew, I knew I wanted Mike to be my mentor. You have to select a mentor. I forgot to mention. Um, cause I thought if he was my mentor, we'd be able to do something like pretty unique. Um, like some kids, like no judgment, they would just make like a go-kart <laughs> for their senior project. <laughs> and I don't really know how that would involve. It's not as cool as summoning Mount Whitney. But, <laughs> Come on. We can judge. Yeah, we can judge. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was like a bunch of kids at Hellgate would just make a go-kart. Uh, but anyway, so I reached out to Mike, uh, we talked about it on plenty of runs, like what we wanted to do for a senior project. 
And he actually ended up coming up with the idea to try to do a self-powered, I guess, adventure from Death Valley to Mount Whitney. So Death Valley is like the lowest point in the Western Hemisphere. It's like 280 feet below sea level. And then Mount Whitney is the highest in the lower 48. And they're really only like 145 miles apart yeah, or something like that. It is kind so of a crazy, crazy contrast. Oh yeah, it's super unique. Um, so yeah, we, uh, we went down there in December because that was really the only window that I could do it. Like we didn't want to do it in the summer because it would be way too hot. And then cross country season in Montana goes until, at least for us, you know, we'd usually run the Foot Locker Regional Championships, which is this weekend, mm. uh, early December. And so like our only window to do it before, like there was a serious amount of snow was like that winter solstice day. Um, so yeah, we went down there and I mean, now that I'm an assistant coach helping at Hellgate, I think it's just so cool that he actually did this, you know, like to just go with a bunch of high schoolers. It was me and me and my friend, uh, my friend crewed us is he's uh, he was like a freshman <laughs> in college at the time, but yeah, it was Mike who's like 28 years old. And then me 17 and this other 18 year old. And we drove down there, which takes like days from Montana, (laughs) like two or three days. Yeah. Down to Southern California. Yeah. I mean, it's just like so amazing that he, he came and like supported us through all this, but yeah, it was a really cool project. Um, like we did the thing and then used it as, uh, to raise money as a fundraiser for this, for this, uh, organization called outdoor nation, which was an organization that tries to like allow underprivileged kids to go outside and they had like camps and stuff for them. So it was really cool to like connect that back, uh, to this organization, but like the trip itself was, it like killed me. It was so hard. <laughs> I just, I wasn't used to anything like that. You know, we, yeah. we biked the bad water course. Yeah. So, you know, it's 135 miles. It was December. So it a wasn't huge, even huge net uphill, right? I mean, yeah, it's yeah, not like an easy ride. You you sort of picture it as like this pancake flag thing, but yeah, I mean, you go from you go from yeah below sea level to like five thousand feet, and then back down to a thousand, and then like uh, there's three passes eight. pretty yeah. much. I mean, I think the whole thing has like fourteen thousand feet of climbing throughout wow. the hundred and thirty five yeah. miles. But I mean, classic high schooler. Like I was. I'd been training for cross country, but like I hadn't been biking at all. I think, I think I remember I went for a bike ride like the week of, because like, I didn't want to bike during cross country season. Like that was cross country was the priority. Of course. Um, and yeah, I just remember going on that bike ride and like 40 miles in you're at the top of a big pass, uh, where you've just climbed like 5,000 feet in a straight line up one of those, uh, whatever they're like fluvial fans in the desert. Yeah. Um, I was just like destroyed 40 miles in. And I remember Mike just had to give me some, like a lot of encouragement to keep going because <laughs> we're like three hours in and I'm already dying. Well, dude, it's so cool. Right. Like that you're now in the assistant coaching role that Mike held yeah. at that same time. And maybe you'll have an opportunity to pay it forward. I see your bicycle behind you. Are you oh, yeah, somebody... we got a couple of bikes here? Yeah. yeah. Do, <laughs> We're kind you... of in my gear room right now. <laughs> That's all. Yeah. It's a good thing to have a gear room. Do you still, uh, do you ride at all? Yeah, I really like riding. Um, I try to go out like a couple times a week and then 
if I'm not running very much or if I'm injured, like I'll usually just hop on the bike for nice. most, most of my cross training. But yeah, I just went today for like a 24 mile ride and yeah, no, it's, I love biking. I think Dude, it's great I, for running. I think it's, yeah, I think it's so good. And I think it's so smart for you as you know, somebody who's at the very beginning of what should be an incredible career to, yeah, lean on that tool a little Hopefully. bit, you know, don't, don't feel like you got to be running 12 months out of the year. Um, but like back to this adventure, like at mm -hmm. this point in your career, you seem like just this uber talented runner. Right. And this project is very much like a slow mm -hmm. adventure. How did, uh, how did the adventure itself sort of influence your competitive aspirations or did it, you know, do you, do you think of yourself more as a runner or more of like an outdoor mountain athlete at this point? I think of myself as a runner for sure. Like that was what I cared most about in high school. And then like in college, I ran for university of Colorado and like, that was all in on running for five years. Like you just live and breathe running. Yeah. Um, so I definitely consider myself more as a runner. It's, it's more been like in the last couple of years where I, like you mentioned the bike, like I try to bike a lot more and like get out on cross country skis or backcountry skiing. And like, I've really liked kind of diversifying like that, but, mm. uh, rarely do I ever like race on those things. Right. Like yeah. sometimes just for fun, but yeah, definitely more like definitely more running for sure. Yeah. But like, yeah, we did a lot of hiking when I was in high school, you know, like there's a peak that overlooks Missoula called Stewart peak. And my friend and I decided we'd hike it once a month for the whole year in 2012. And it was, it's not a big deal in the summer, but in the winter, it's like a almost <laughs> yeah. 20 mile, like snowshoe. Yeah. And so like, there was always, I felt like we were always doing stuff like that. And so there's definitely like an adventure component, like even when yeah. I was younger, Yeah, and, but and just like always fun stuff. Yeah. Those little things do harden you and give you interesting experience that it seems like is being applied now in your trail running career. Do you know, Alex Nichols? No, was he, was he third or fourth at Western States this year? No, I think he dropped, I think he dropped out at, or no, I can't remember where he finished. I think he finished, uh, somewhere, maybe even in the top 10. Anyway, my, the, the okay. point is I was asking because he has a similar streak with the Pikes Peak with Pikes Peak, which is in his backyard. Oh, really? And you of course ran yeah. the Pikes Peak marathon this summer, but I think Alex has like a streak of summiting Pikes Peak every month for like years now. So of course, oh, as man. you said, in the summer, it's no big deal, but yeah, this I time bet of some year, of those are so the, memorable yeah, the, yeah. for the next five or six months. It's like, Oh God, I got to go back up there. Oh yeah. And it depends too. Like I noticed with the, when we were doing Stuart peak once a month, like sometimes you'd only have like a certain day to do it, like depending on our track season and like being in high school and some days like it sucked. Like, you would just do the whole thing. And it was like, you're inside a cotton ball, you know, like you never got a view just or like, anything. Why? why am I doing this? It's just like to... pouring rain. You're like, dang, I guess I just have to get it in April. Like, yeah, but it's fun. You remember those things for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about your relationship with Mike foot. One of the mm -hmm. great, the great gentlemen on the circuit, as I mentioned, uh, and a longtime friend of mine. Um, it sounds like you guys still see each other around Missoula. I know he's an integral part of the running community up there. Yeah, quite, and, and maybe talk a, a little bit about how he in particular has maybe influenced your career. If there's any pieces of advice or I don't know, habits that maybe you've picked up 
from him in mm-hmm. observing how he's uh, sort of orchestrated his athletic career? Yeah, for sure. I think I definitely owe quite a bit to Mike. Like his influence on me and the other athletes in high school was huge. You know, like he's just such a nice guy, like such a good guy. Um, and I think it makes a difference when you have like a professional athlete who's a trail athlete running with you, you know, a couple times a week. Like even when I was in high school, like trying to run fast and then in college and beyond, like I saw how Mike trained and like the stuff that he did and just like how happy he was doing those types of races. And I like, it was definitely something that I wanted to do. Like, and I think that's pretty special. Like, I don't think a lot of high schoolers want to be like a professional trail runner someday, but it was definitely like something that I thought would be really cool. Wow. Um, you know, and then when I was in college, that makes I think me I, so happy. Dude. Yeah. Oh, that makes me so yeah, happy. Yeah, huge, huge influence. And then in college, like definitely, you know, at Colorado, we'd interact a lot with like pros training on the team still who weren't trail runners. And so I think I might've lost a little bit of it then, you know, yeah, yeah. um, like maybe I thought I'd go on to run the steeple or something after college, but, um, yeah, especially in high school, like Mike was just this legend, like, you know, he'd run these huge races. He lived in a yurt, like, <laughs> which I think he still the, owns. I think he still owns the yurt. It's, you know? Yeah. It's still there. But yeah. like, we would, we would always try to like go up to his yurt and find out where it was. Like he would never tell us. And then finally he told <laughs> us and we found it. And like, he wasn't there when we biked to it, but, uh, yeah, Co- you know, he's coach just, foot, coach foot. Well, shout out to Mike. Yeah. He and no, his wife, Katie, uh, just had their, their first baby too. They swung by our house in Portland this summer when they were on a little bit of a van trip and it's always great to see them, but oh, he right actually, on. he texted me today, dude. He must've gotten, oh, the, he? He must've yeah. gotten the beta that, uh, you and I were going to sit down for a conversation and he, he yeah. wanted me to ask you about, uh, playing the didgeridoo before we go see, on to your, your career at the university of Colorado. We got to talk about oh, the didge. So embarrassing. So this goes back to middle school again. <laughs> like I mentioned the Rubik's cube, but I actually withheld some information and that was the didgeridoo. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. When I was in sixth grade, I had, I don't know what prompted this, but I made a didgeridoo out of PVC pipe and like a beeswax mouthpiece. Yeah. Uh, so that's fine. Like kind of weird, but then I chose one night to make a video on YouTube, like, like how to make a didgeridoo. And so I made this like three minute video. Um, and it was kind of funny. I was in sixth grade. I had really, really long hair. Uh, so I made this video, like talking about the didgeridoo, whatever posted to YouTube. And then like on the comments, like immediately I just started getting roasted. <laughs> People were like, who is that? Like, are you a boy or a girl? <laughs> it was like kind of mean. And my mom was like, "Yeah, the YouTube comment section is not uh, necessarily the friendliest environment. Oh no. And for some reason, like I just kept it on YouTube until I was in college. And I like checked on it periodically, but like it got up to like 90,000 views. <laughs> and at that point, you went viral, dude. Yeah. At that point, I kind of like I shut it down. I took it off YouTube because <laughs> it was just like it was one of those videos I was talking about earlier where I'd watch it and I'd just be like crawling in my, I just like couldn't watch it. It's so embarrassing. Did you, were, did you self teach yourself like the circular breathing? I learned that on stuff? YouTube as well. Yeah. yeah. Dude, it's so crazy. People have. People of your generation just learn things on YouTube. I ha- actually have a funny anecdote about this as well. When I was in Japan for Ultra Trail Mount Fuji a few years ago, 
my friend, Mael, an Australian guy who was crewing for me at the race. We were back in Tokyo afterwards before catching our flights in separate directions. And we were just sitting at a bar at a restaurant in Tokyo. And this young guy was bartending and he spoke perfect English and, but he's a Japanese guy. And we're like, yeah, like thinking he must've come to the U S to get an education or something like that. Cause he just mm-hmm. spoke perfect English. So somehow it came up, you know, like how, how'd you learn English? And he was just like, YouTube. Oh <laughs> I was gosh. just like, I feel so, so old. I feel yeah. so incredibly old. Uh, you can but learn, learn so how much. to speak perfect I, yeah. English on YouTube and look at you. You're, you're learning circular breathing and playing, making yeah, degrees. So. <laughs> but then it comes to backfire and just embarrassing <laughs> videos everywhere. But no, I try to like, if something goes wrong with my car, I try to search YouTube first to fix it, but it definitely has its limitations. Like my Subaru's has the classic problem of a Subaru where the head gaskets are leaking. And, you know, I, I thought it would be a little bit beyond me to like try to fix that. But I looked it up on YouTube and it's like a three hour video and they're like <laughs> removing the engine from the car. And I was like, Oh, this is yeah, yeah, like, this beyond. is beyond the scope of the course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's dude, hilarious. that's hilarious. What, what a funny skill to have. And yeah, I mean, between being a great athlete, being good at the Rubik's cube and playing the didgeridoo, you should probably like go to burning man and Oh God, <laughs> you know, put, put all those skills together in some weird yeah. art ex- exhibition or something, but. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the free trail mobile app, the first mobile training platform specifically for trail runners. That's right. Within the app, you'll find a library of informational and inspirational material dedicated to helping you along your trail running journey. This includes an abundance of training plans for runners of all skill and experience levels, along with how-to training content, strength and mobility sessions, yoga, breath work, women's health, and much, much more. Free Trail also has a very forward-facing community feature where members get to interact, share the highs and lows of their journey, and generally develop friendships with other like-minded people. We also do weekly Zoom calls for subscribers where we get to connect and learn from each other, which has absolutely become the highlight of my week. This month, we are running a 20% discount on the annual subscription, which will cost only $96, the equivalent of $8 a month. So go to freetrail.com, click the button that says download the app, and we would love to help and get to know you a little bit. Thanks so much. Let's go back to where we left off. And that is sort of like the transition from the high school days to the university of Colorado, which like mm-hmm. you said, is an all in type running environment. Mm-hmm. One of the best programs in the country. Talk about yeah, just yeah. like, talk about like, I guess I'm curious about the recruiting process. You know, how'd you end up at CU? Mm-hmm. Like, it sounds like you were had to be one of the best runners in the state of Montana. If you ended up mm-hmm. there, how'd you end up in Boulder? Yeah. So I, like kind of my junior year is when we started talking about running in college. This is like with the head coach and Mike some a little bit and the other coaches, but, uh, yeah, I knew I wanted to run in college probably by junior year. Like running was definitely what I was interested in the most. And I was one of like the top guys in Montana, but not really in the region. Like I was, I was third at the state meet, uh, my sophomore and junior year in cross country. And then, I think like fourth in track and the two mile or something like that. Um, but 
you know, I actually didn't really have a very good track season my junior year. And I feel like at least for recruiting, like there's a lot of emphasis put on that year mm. because it's like track your senior year. You've usually chosen where you're going to go. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I ended up like training too hard as like a little high schooler my junior year. Uh, we went to Arcadia, which is like that big, that's a big invitational down in California. Mm. Um, and our team went down there. It was like this big deal to go there from Montana. And this was my junior year, but I was trying to break 920 in the two mile. Like our school record was 917. And so I thought I could go down there, maybe break 920, get the school record, and then like be recruited by colleges. Uh-huh. But like I hadn't been feeling very good in training, like really tired all the time. Ended up running 920 pace for like all but the last 800 of that race. And then I just ran like a 1005. Yeah. Like wheels Exploded. completely fell yeah. off. And I was like, I had to get like carried off the track. Um, but long story short, like something was wrong. Like I went back to Montana and like oh. it just felt like something was wrong with me. And I ended up getting my iron tested and my iron was like, like my ferritin was a three. It's like critically low. It was horrible. Yeah. I was yeah. anemic. And, um, so yeah, that track season ended up like not going so well. I think eventually I broke nine thirty in the two mile, like by the time we got my iron levels up, but, yeah. uh, all this to say, like by my senior year, it really seemed like, like I knew I just had to do well in cross country as a senior, um, because I had like no credentials, uh, to yeah. be recruited. Um, yeah. uh, so yeah, I just like tried to train a little bit smarter, like be more consistent. And like, honestly, I think I was taking it too seriously as a junior uh, and by senior year, I like really tried to relax and like get rid of some race anxiety I was having and like just enjoyed running with my teammates. And that yeah. worked like way better for me. Mm. Um, so by senior year, I, there was me and then these two other guys, the ones who I mentioned earlier from middle school up in the flathead. Yeah. So those guys ended up being like my high school rivals. Uh-huh. Um, Zach Perrin was one of them and Troy Fraley was the other, but, uh, yeah. So it was kind of all like the three of us would always go at it in cross country and by our senior years, like we were all pretty close. I think uh-huh. Zach was a lot faster than us like earlier on, but, uh-huh. um, yeah, anyway, so didn't, my didn't senior he go year, to see like, you too. Yeah, he was my roommate. Really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. The, the flathead rival that you guys end up in. Mm-hmm. Did yeah. you, uh, was there any fisticuffs, uh, battling over? <laughs> oh <laughs> man. I mean, some, yeah. Sometimes like classic college roommates, <laughs> yeah. we get like all mad, but, yeah. uh, no, we were like brothers, you know, like, yeah. So eventually you had a good cross country season, your senior year at, uh, Hellgate and you ended yeah. up getting recruited to see you. Yeah. Things just came together. Um, yeah. I, I remember I said, I mean, the, it must've been a great season, right? Cause CU is the best program in the country, you know, with only a yeah. couple of rivals. Right. Uh, yeah. I was kind of lucky because Zach was getting recruited by so many other programs. And so oh. I ended up beating him a couple of times. And I think because I beat him, that was like a metric that they could see. Yeah. Um, but I also emailed them too, you know, uh-huh. like I was reaching out, I reached out to Colorado and like the beginning of that season. Um, I emailed like the assistant coach and he just pretty much emailed back and was like, here's the times you need to hit if you want to run for us. And it was like, 
it was like quite a lot faster than I'd run. Um, mm. but then I beat Zach and I ended up getting the state record in the three mile, which now they run the 5k, but back then we were in the three mile. Um, but I ended up running, like, I feel like it was one of the best races of my life to this day. Like, I don't know what got into me, but it was like me and Zach head to head yes. and I ended up like beating him at this race over in Helena, Montana, um, and ran like a 1426 for the three mile at 4,000 feet. Like, I don't know how I did that even Jeez, today. Dude. Crazy. Um, so how was your race kind of got it going? How was your, uh, collegiate career? Like we're, were you, do you look back on it with pride? I mean, were you one of the top performers on the team? Honestly, I, I don't pay attention to yeah, collegiate you know, running that like, much. I think I have like a pretty standard college career, like story that most people have, but I loved running for Colorado. Like that was my dream was to run for them. And so getting to do it was like so cool, but it was, it was really, really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. What's it like competing for a program like that? I, it was just like, you're in it, you know, like the coach would always say, it's like, you're in the lion's den because mm -hmm. when we worked out, like there's 10 of us and on any given day, someone feels really good and they're yeah. pushing the pace. And, um, like I had, I was there during a really good time at Colorado, like my freshman year and sophomore year, we won nationals in cross country. Um, sweet. My, <laughs> that must've been fun. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My, and then, you know, we were, we were eight when I was, uh, fifth year, um, actually running again for the team, but like, it was just hard, you know, it's hard to stay healthy. And so yeah. I found that like when I was healthy and able to run consistently, things went pretty well. And like, that was really, really fun. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I would also have periods where like just couldn't my, hold it my fourth year, like I just blew up my Achilles and like, couldn't really get a hold on it like the entire time. Yeah. Um, I just had Ruth Croft on the podcast, a, a Kiwi. Nice trail runner, awesome athlete, but she actually went to the university of Portland. Not no, far right on. I visited not, there too. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. But she was saying the same thing and that you're not only competing against the other universities, but you're really competing for the spots on the team, like every day. And so mm -hmm. even the easy runs become like a little bit too competitive and then you get yeah. injured and then it sort of becomes a, not necessarily always a healthy training environment. Well, did you have a, a similar feeling at the university of Colorado? I felt like the, I felt like our men's team was pretty chill, mm -hmm. um, for that. And maybe that's just my perspective. Cause I was like, usually I was on varsity if I was like running healthy. Um, but yeah, like definitely for the kids who were like on that cusp, like it definitely gets competitive, but, um, yeah, we, I think we had a pretty good team culture from that standpoint, but good. it's hard, you know, like you, it's a balancing act between like during the workouts, like, do you hit the assignment or do you go faster to like, like if you were one of those kids, like to edge out to one go, of the other guys. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, it's but, good to have training partners, but yeah, I mean, sometimes if you're doing all your workouts with the same guys and mm -hmm. you're competing for spots on the team or whatever, I could see oh, how yeah. that. I mean, that was like the story of my sophomore year was like, I just really wanted to be on the varsity squad because I'd redshirted the year before. Uh -huh. And, uh, yeah, like I would get assigned workouts with like the B team pretty much. Uh -huh. And I would always just try to like blow it up. Like I bet yeah. those guys were just pissed at just me. Just like, come on, Peter, man, dude. Yeah. And then, and <laughs> then like, he, and then he'd like halfway through the workout, put me up with the varsity guys. And like, I couldn't hang at all. You know, these yeah. were guys who were getting like top 10 at NCAAs and cross country. And 
just doing like ridiculous workouts. Yeah. Cool. Um, but I mean, it was really cool. Like running for Colorado was the dream. Uh, I got pretty injured like by the end, but yeah. you know, like I would, you think I would, that's I just think, like accumulated years of tons of workouts and always being on as a, I yeah, mean, I cause effectively a cycle of it. Yeah. yeah. Cause it like, is like just so serious at that level. Right. Like, especially if you're doing track cross country and indoor, mm-hmm. I mean, you're racing hard year round basically. Right. Yeah. I think our, yeah, I think exactly. It, like just the intensity is so high. Yeah. Um, so then post collegiately, yeah. what, what happened? What was your approach to the sport of running in general? Like, did you entertain going pro on the road and track circuit? Were you being recruited by brands at that point? And I mean, basically, yeah, how, how'd you end up on the trails? Cause what, you're like 26 now. Cause you're not 26, that far, yeah. you're not that far removed from ZU, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, I guess I graduated like three years ago. I graduated in 2018. Um, well, so yeah. you landed on my radar this year, basically. So maybe, uh, tell us yeah. what you've been up to in the last three years since you graduated from see you to now being like one of the true rising stars of trail running. Yeah. I, I guess when I graduated that, like I said, my, my Colorado story was like kind of, uh, it was great at the beginning. And then when I had those periods of injury, like I did not PR when I was a senior in track, like in the steeple, I ran eight forty three as a sophomore, but then as a senior, I was like eight fifty three in the three mm. K. So like early on at Colorado, I thought I had a trajectory of being like one of the best steeple chasers in the NCAA. And then like by my senior year, I was just like happy to run pain-free. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, like what I had dealt with always was an Achilles injury. And like, even when I finished at college, like my last meet, uh, like my Achilles was hurting pretty bad. And like, from then, which was May, like, I don't think I ran until like August or September. Like I was pretty much done. And that was the, that is the longest I've ever gone without running, you know? Cause it was mm-hmm. like, it's always been something I love to do. Um, like even outside of being competitive, but yeah, like I, I pretty much was done. Like I didn't, I didn't really have aspirations of being competitive anymore. And like, it sounds kind of sad saying, but I was like, I was excited to do other stuff. You know, I was excited to maybe like get back to cycling and like move back to Montana and go camping with my friends. And yeah, like that was such a big part of my life in high school was being like outdoors. Yeah. And in college, there wasn't really enough time to do that. Yeah. You know, like we lived in Boulder, which is amazing. And we got to run in some really cool places, but like I, I've climbed two 14ers. Yeah. You know, and when I committed to Boulder, I was like, I'm doing all, yeah, I'm doing everything. Like, I'm doing all of them. <laughs> um, so I guess, yeah. So how'd you end up running, starting to run trails? Like, was that sort of a rebirth of your desire to run and compete? Talk about that. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, I think it was like, I wanted to run like if you're just living in Missoula as someone who's not like running in high school or college, like most of the people are running the trails because it's crazy. Like we have so much access just like right from town to everything. Um, but like, I think I went back and forth a little bit with like what I want to do running, but like, you know, I took all that time off. And then when I started running again, my Achilles still hurt. Like Mm -hmm. it was crazy. That thing was 
painful for like two or three years. Um, and so I ended up seeing someone at UM uh, named Rich Willie, but like this guy just took me under his wing and showed me like these really simple, like weighted eccentric loads, like, uh-huh. like heel drops pretty much with heavy weight. And that was something like never even tried in college. Yeah. Um, and after four months of consistently doing that, like it was better. Wow. And that was, that really got me fired up because like, I remember in college, we had like an exit interview with Wetmore, the coach, Mark yeah. Wetmore. Yeah. And I was 22 years old and he's like, well, you did everything your body could do. And I remember I left that like being so sad and like You're pissed like, off because I'm like, I'm come still on. I gave my body man. to this program for God's sakes. Yeah. And so I was like pretty floored to actually be training and running again, pain-free. And at that point, like I was working at a gear shop in town and like I got backcountry skis and I'd started doing that again. And I was like pretty, just pretty excited to be doing stuff again, like mm-hmm. what I'd always wanted to do at Colorado, but like couldn't because we we're just training so hard for other events. Yeah. So how'd you get into the trails and how'd you get connected with, with Hoka? Uh, yeah, I, I ended up signing up for the Moab trail marathon in 2019. Um, it's the USATF trail marathon championships. And like, I think as a person coming from the like road and track background, yeah, I saw like the USA championships and like, I'm like, Oh, this is the most competitive race in the U S like, <laughs> you know, you have no idea. Um, so I ran that, I guess I should go back one the week before I did the USA trail marathon champs. I, I tried to run up Mount Sentinel, which is just like a local peak yep. in Missoula, tried to run up that as fast as I could. Um, and the, it's, it's a race that's put on, it's called the Mount Sentinel hill climb, Yeah. but yeah. other people on Strava have like tried to do it as a KOM. And the guy who held the course record was Jim Walmsley. Yes. And so, and he like, went who also it. used to live in Montana. He yeah. used to live it. Yeah. Yeah. Out in great falls. Yeah. Um, but so I, I did the Mount Sentinel hill climb route, like all out as a time trial before, uh, Moab. And I ended up beating him by about a minute. And wow. when that, when that happened, I was like, Oh shit. Like I actually might be good. Yeah. Like I had, I didn't, you know, you have no metrics in trail. Yeah. Um, but again, like I didn't know how fit he was then. And people said he did it when it was like a hundred degrees, of course. So yeah, yeah. like my condition legendary. Yeah. Um, so, so then you go to Moab and you won it right in 2019. Yeah. And that was, that was effectively your first real trail race, huh? I had run the rut kind of for fun before that, but yeah, that was like the uh, first time I tried to be, or the I did the VK and the 28 K, but oh, okay. it, it went poorly. I just, <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, I hadn't been running very much that summer. I was working for the forest service and, yeah. uh, yeah, I think like when so I, let's when, talk, when I let's talk for, about Moab though. I mean, like, yeah. you, you know, you had a little bit of experience with the rut, but it didn't go well. You smashed yeah, the Sentinel like Hill climb woman overall, I think at the rut, like, <laughs> yeah. that was way back. Right. <laughs> well, so, but then you smashed the Sentinel Hill climb and you win the USATF marathon championship at Moab. Is that when you got connected with Hoka? And was that the point at which you kind of made the determination that you were going to kind of commit to the, the trail running side of the sport rather than something um, else? Yeah, it was, there was kind of a year removed because so it was 2019 i won mm-hmm. in moab um and then 
like the next year was 2020. So like obviously racing yeah, wasn't really was the priority anymore. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was funny. Like, so at that time, my girlfriend who runs for Hoka as well, she used to run for Colorado too. Oh. Um, and she was really good. You know, yeah. she was like an 11 time all American at oh. University of Colorado. Yeah. So she, right after college ran for Northern Arizona elite, the Hoka team in Flagstaff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I was actually like during the time of the Moab marathon that fall, fall of 2019, um, Aaron, her name's Aaron. She, Aaron had been going through like quite a bit of injuries with the Northern Arizona elite team. Uh-huh. Like she loved the team, but just wasn't able to really run anymore. Like she wasn't able to race, had some weird back injury. Um, but I was planning on moving to Flagstaff like with her, that's where, that's where they were based out of. Um, and then I don't know, like sometime in October or November, she called me and was like, Hey, I just quit the team. And this was like all out of the blue to me. Yeah. Like I had no idea this was happening. And I was like, all right, I support you. Uh, but like, are, am I still moving to Flagstaff? Yeah. Like, do you, do you want to be in Flagstaff anymore if you're not part of the team? And so ultimately she chose to move to Missoula and, uh, that was also, so I chose to stay in Missoula, Mike foot who works for runner's edge events and puts on the rut. They hired me at that time too. And so it all kind of came together for Aaron to move to Missoula, me to stay here and actually get more of a like flexible job that we're uh-huh. running. And then I won Moab. And so I think that really like that just sealed the deal on me, like actually trying to go for it. Yeah. Because like Moab had gone well and now I had a job that worked with running and my girl, I wasn't in a long distance relationship anymore. Like she lived here. So uh, this is something I'm curious about as somebody who's a student of the game and somebody who has, is an observer of the overall environment and industry situation in the sport of running and trail running and I'm curious to get your take on this as somebody who's been on both sides Mm -hmm. of the world or both sides of the, you know, sort of road and track side of the sport collegiately and now professionally in trail running. Mm -hmm. And it's my feeling that like, I I'm totally confused as to why more people like you aren't just coming to trail running by the hundreds, by the dozens. Yeah, I don't like, know cause, either. Cause now trail runners are making a decent living. You know, the, the top yeah. athletes, you can make probably close to as much as most of the, the good road runners, mm-hmm. you know, somebody like Galen Rupp is probably out earning most people, but probably not out earning a guy like Killian Jornet or mm-hmm. probably not even out earning by much you know, oh, just yeah. total speculation, somebody like Francois Dane or Jim Walmsley mm-hmm. or Courtney DeWalter, mm-hmm. though, those sort of like transcendent paradigm changing athletes are of course in a different category, but it's my feeling that, you know, our sport is so freaking cool and there's gotta be so many kids coming out of these great D one programs who would get like a meager salary trying to race, you know, on the 10 K five K diamond league circuit yeah. or even in the marathon when they could come into trail running and earn like a really good living. Is that, yeah, a, I don't understand it either. Like yeah. that's been something 
I think about a lot is like, why aren't more people who ran like, you know, I ran, like I was saying, 843 in the steeple, which was like 20th in the country that year, like not that great. And like, I don't know, I just feel like that type of running really translates well to trail. No doubt. Um, Same with cross country. I mean, it's like, yeah, like there's so many dudes in the NCAA who are like monsters aerobically. Yeah. And I, I don't know why so many just like got it out on the roads just to do okay. And like, like in poverty, I don't know, I just basically love, too, you know, like that? in poverty, that's not like they're yeah. really even making a real living. Oh yeah. I mean, if you're like, I know the numbers probably have changed, but like in 2016 or something, like one of our post collegiates got eighth in the steeple at the USA track and field championships, uh-huh. like the Olympic trials. And he made $200. <laughs> and that was the only race he did all year where he'd made money. And we're like, wow. dude, that's awesome. But like, what's, what, what are you going to do for a living? You? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting, um, man. And I, I really do think that this is a, uh, an important moment in the history of the sport and that, you know, people like you can help usher in a, a new generation and to help open the eyes. I mean, there's nothing wrong with wanting to race on the track. There's nothing wrong sure. with wanting to be a great road marathoner. But yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, people like us who are drawn to the outdoors, who are drawn to the mountains, who are drawn to open spaces, mm-hmm. but who also like to compete. It's like, man, it's at the point now where you can earn as good of a living or better racing on the trails than you can trying to slog it out as a road athlete. So oh, anyway, sure. another yeah. discussion for another day. I want to, yeah, you know, before we sort of go way too long. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to talk about your season, dude, because your season was an absolute freaking mind blower this year. You (laughs) smashed it. Um, and I guess, uh, you know, let's start with the speed goat 50 K of course, one of the hardest and most competitive 50 kilometer races in the country Mm -hmm. in snowboard, Utah. Um, how did that race get on your radar? I think it was your first 50 K and of Mm -hmm. course, like coming from, the track, uh, cross country background, of course, there's races like way too cool and Chuck and and yeah, many yeah. others that would theoretically suit your skill set a little bit better. Why did you choose speed goat? You know, I, I'd actually been signed up for Chuck in 2020. And then that was the year it was kind of out there where COVID started was uh-huh, at least in the U S yeah. like, as far as we knew, it was like near Bellingham. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it just, turned out to be that way just based on the timeline of COVID. Like I was trying to do races, but like the rest of us, you know, they were getting canceled and, um, but yeah, like, you know, I joined Hoka in 2020 and like within the contract, there's a set of races that like might give you a bonus. And so I was just selecting races from there and like Spigo looked awesome. You know, a couple of my friends in Missoula have run it and, yeah, I was just, I was just excited to try doing speed goat and then Pike's peak as like the big races of the summer. So, uh, yeah, I think I'd mainly just heard about it from guys in Missoula though. Yeah. Yeah. So, and of course you won the race and broke the course record, which was a record held by Jim Walmsley. And you're now in very elite company. I think <laughs> only you and Hayden Hawks have ever taken down a record held by Jim Walmsley. Oh, really? And, and, and I didn't Hayden, know that. And Hayden also, I'm just thinking of this now, ran his first 50K at Speedgoat and was a total undiscovered talent. 
And now, oh, of course, his, yeah. And oh, now he's cool. gone on to, to be, you know, one of the best athletes in the world, but I mean, it must've been a pretty special moment for you to cross the finish line, breaking Jim Walmsley's course record in your first 50 K on a very hard mountainous course. How did that result impact your view of yourself and your capabilities in a, as an athlete within our sport? Yeah, I, I was honestly really surprised to get his record. Um, yeah, I was just, I was just really surprised that it happened because I think I'd been used to like faster courses or kind of like the background on track where it's like when you're about to PR or win a race, like you're flying, you know, like you're moving pretty fast, but there were moments in Speedgoat where I thought I'd like completely ruined the race. I thought I'd gone out too hard. Uh, um, I mean, you know how it is like Speedgoat was so technical. There were points where I'm like walking and like, I try to not hike during (laughs) training. Like I I try to run the hills. Um, and I was just like hiking and I was like, Oh God, like this is going backwards now. Um, and I remember with like eight miles to go, some guy was like, Hey, you're a, a spectator was like, Hey, I think you're on pace to break Wamsey's record. And I literally said to him, I was like, there's no way. Like, cause I just felt like I was hiking just as fast as anyone would, who was like on a hike that day on some of those climbs, but you know, that's just how it goes when you're that deep in the race. Like the descents were still going well and stuff, but I was, I was pretty shocked to break his record and it was only by like 20 seconds or something like that. So, um, but how does that impact your psychology, man? I mean, because Jim is one of the best of all time, you know, like that dude is a freak. And I was actually there when uh, he broke the record at speed goat. And I'm just like, dude, he's so freaking good. So to be (laughs) at a point already, you're 26 years old, man. Like you're breaking Jim Walmsley's record at speed goat and you've got the, you know, a decade in front of you, at least of, of high level competition. (laughs) What, I mean, is how are you viewing your, your position in the sport right now? And how does it impact your, your like self-belief, self-confidence and your abilities? Um, yeah, I mean, I just really love trail running. Like I, I love it so much more than I, I loved running for Colorado, but I think my headspace and like how I would get before races, like it always seemed like do or die. Like I was so nervous before races and especially like towards the end of my career, as time was running out and I just feel like trail running and like getting this deal with Hoka kind of gave my running like a second life. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know, like just this year and kind of my headspace with trail running this year has been, I don't know. It's just like really positive and I like it so much more. Like I just love it. You make me so happy, bro. It makes me so happy. And yeah, I mean, Um, like, you know, it's, to be so talented, but also to have that love of the game and that sort of like, yeah, the humility to, to understand that, you know, it is just the beginning for you and that, you know, there, you will be sort of standing on the shoulders of those who come before you. And I think Jim's like 31 now and still has a ton of time left in his career. And he's also super friendly guy who, you know, he said the same stuff is like, well, I feel like I have to go try and go for like the hundred K road yeah, world record, yeah. but like his heart's on the trails, you know, it just mm-hmm. makes me so freaking happy. It makes me so happy. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. Yeah. I, I, I guess I didn't answer your question though, but uh, like 
I think I just, uh, right now with trail running, like I try to just sign up for races that get me excited. Um, and then do my best to execute either like just running them really hard or like winning them if that's a possibility, but that's Mm -hmm. kind of been, uh, just like my mindset now. Cause I think, yeah, like just college, I didn't have really the right mindset going into it and trails kind of given that back for sure. Awesome. So like the only blip on your racing resume from this season was a second place finish at the Pikes Peak Marathon. So I don't know, like obviously, um, is it, it's James Damore or James Seth, yeah, Seth, Seth, Damore. Seth, yeah, Seth yeah. Damore, excuse me. I think who, James might be his brother. Right. That's right. Yeah. yeah excuse me. Yeah. So Seth Damore won the Pikes Peak marathon. I think he's, it, it's at least his second victory there. Yep. You were a little ways back of him. Um, he killed me. Yeah. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious about that. Right. Because like you still finished second place. It's, it's not like it was a bad performance. I can't remember. I think you were like seven or eight minutes behind him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, uh, was there, was there a challenge there that you were dealing with? I know coming from Missoula, trying to go to 14,000 feet, it's not necessarily as easy as it is for somebody like Seth who lives in Colorado. Yeah. yeah. Um, talk about that race a little bit. What you, what'd you learn there? Well, it's kind of funny. Like I was just talking about headspace, but, uh, like Pike's peak was the race I cared the most about for the whole year. I was like, well, it's just, it has such a cool history. Legendary. And, yeah. And the, the course record there is insane. Carpenter. Like Matt Carpenter ran up to Bikes Peak in 202. And then I think he did the marathon in like 318. Yeah. Um, Both and so I've always that, felt like, yeah, those I felt are like records that, record that people is, view as, as unbreakable. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so I just biggest... kind of wanted to see like where I stood against that metric uh-huh. and I got smoked. Like, yeah. you know, on the day, like everything had been going well. Uh, I was heat training a lot in Missoula because I knew that heat training had like a similar effect and to you altitude. as altitude. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just didn't work out. Like I think I went out too hard because within the first mile, I felt like kind of lactic and uh Dude, that's the altitude. That's the altitude. Yeah. I guarantee. I mean, I, they do say that there is a carryover in that adaptation between heat training and altitude training, but my guess is if you were really acclimatized, it would have been a different yeah. ball game because I went down there like two or three days before, like I didn't, I just didn't have the time with work it's not enough. Uh, to go it's down not enough there, to so. go to 14,000 feet. No. Oh, now when yeah. you live it's, at like 3000 or whatever Missoula is at. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of what happened. Um, because usually like, I feel pretty good. I, I usually feel like I'm a good climber. And then on that day, like it literally felt like I was going easy day pace or slower, like up that mountain. Um, and it wasn't really until, I want to say halfway down the descent where I actually like got back into second, but I was sitting in fourth for like most of that race. Um, but that race is cool. Like I definitely someday would love to go back and maybe if I had like the means to spend a few weeks down there before and check out the course more and acclimatize, but yeah, definitely want to give that one another go. Heck yeah, dude. Well, you know, and then you repeat at Moab, which was another awesome performance for you taking home your second USATF championship, um, at the Moab trail marathon. I don't know if there's anything you want to mention from that before we, we spend some time on JFK just a a couple of weeks ago. Is there anything from Moab you think is worth mentioning? I know you Um, broke, you broke the course record and it seems like you had an awesome race. It was a really fun day. I mean, I love, I just love going down to that race. I think I get kind of sentimental about it because it was like that, that first time I won there, 
like I was just so happy and like so emotional. Yeah. Um, because I'd been injured for so long in college, like yeah. to finally do well at something again was like awesome. That was 2019. Yeah. Um, no, I think the only thing in, so I ran that race actually in 2020 as well. And oh. I ran like the exact same time I ran 257. So did, have you won it three times now? Yeah. Okay. So three yeah. Pete. Awesome. Three P. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when I ran 257 in 2019 and 2020, like I was completely spent like 2019, I bonked, I think right at the end, like with yeah. a mile to go, it was just horrible. Yeah. Um, so I think this year I just, I felt really confident and it was really fun racing with Max King and Eli Hemming, like a new, newer guy in the trail game. But, mm-hmm. uh, it was fun running with those guys. Cause I felt like Max King, like never gave up. Like he, I thought I dropped him at mile 13 and had like this gap in him after this big climb. And he like caught back up at 17 and, uh, he just made it super fun. And like, I never thought I'd run that fast on that course. And I know trail like time isn't everything in trail, but yeah, I feel like as someone who's done that course three times now, I'm like, I don't know if I could run many sections of that faster than that. And it was really fun. Like yeah. it was fun to have that competition. So, so how did this year's time compare to the last two years? Uh, this year was 251. As opposed to what? Uh, 257. The awesome. other two times. Yeah. Wow, dude. So yeah, I might have I to mean, retire from Moab now with hey, that. Three in a row. Yeah. Step yeah. away. <laughs> step away. Yeah. You don't want to. Yeah don't want to force it too many times. Um, yeah, yeah. go out, go out on a high note or at least take a year off. It's like That's Jim Walmsley, Jim yeah. Walmsley after his three Pete at Western States, he's like, yeah, to Moab. I think I'll take, take the year off from Western States. <laughs> That'd you know? be so sick. Well, let's talk about JFK, dude. This is just a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, maybe, yep. maybe two weeks ago, the one of the oldest ultra marathons in the United States, obviously a legendary race, a race that many of the best of all time have, uh, tackled over the course of their career. And again, you won and narrowly missed Hayden Hawks course record, which he took from Jim Walmsley. So now you guys are the top three fastest guys ever on that course in a race that's been around for like 55 years or something like that. Talk about your experience at, at JFK. And I'm also just like very curious now how you view your strengths and weaknesses as an athlete, because obviously like Mm -hmm. Speed goat is a real mountain race, right? And you take down yeah. the course record there. Uh, JFK is one of the faster 50 milers in North America. Mm-hmm. I think your winning time was, you know, under 520. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm curious, you know, with the contrast of those two types of events, one being hyper mountainous, one being a faster, mm-hmm. flatter course, and you're performing very well at both of them. Talk about mm-hmm. that race specifically and how you're thinking about your skill set as a trail runner, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. Yeah. Um, with with JFK, I think I JFK and Speedgoat, I guess I trained a little bit differently for. Like um with JFK, I feel like I trained, I had like one or two set, usually one session a week where I was actually trying to run like sub six minute pace or something like that. Um, just kind of like either a marathon type workout or just running six minute pace for 20 miles, something like that. Um, and for speed goat, I actually didn't really do any of that. Like it was all just usually pretty hilly runs. Yeah. Um, so I think that's how I was able to do both. Cause you know, they're pretty far separated. Like yeah. speed goat was in July and this was in November. Um, but 
Yeah. I, I guess I don't know like what I view my strength as in particular, like, um, in the sport, like, yeah, it's, it's all like so different. You know, you could do like a VK if you wanted to, or you could run like a flat hundred miler, or a really mountainous hundred miler. Like, um, I view myself as a pretty good climber, but like, I definitely want to see what I can do if I go longer as well. So mm-hmm. as for next year, I guess I'll just keep signing up for races and yeah, like see if I can do well in them. But I guess I didn't really answer your question. I don't, I guess I don't know what yeah. uh, my strengths would be. Yeah. Well, I mean, clearly you've got a lot of strengths, man. It's like, if you can compete like that on at both those different races, I mean, I think that there's only very few people in our sport and really in the history of our sport who have the talent and range like that, you know, who can win and break a course record at something like speed goat and then turn around six months later and Mm -hmm run one of the fastest times ever on a very fast flatter course. You know, I think Mm -hmm. Jim in particular is an anomaly, somebody who has the talent to win comrades, Western States and UTMB, you know, he's got the skill set, I think to do all that. And of course he's only one Western States at this point, but I wouldn't be surprised if he got the other two. And I feel like you're a similar athlete, you know, and actually it's kind of, interesting too because jim's a taller guy and he's a great a great climber you're six foot three and you're an insane climber i'm six foot three and i'm a freaking slow poke on the the full full gas uphill so (laughs) um yeah i don't know i mean yeah you're 26 you're you're somewhat new to the game you're still learning what your what your Mm -hmm. strengths and weaknesses are but you know jfk must have been another um, yeah, really solid sort of confidence booster at this early stage in your career. Maybe talk a little bit about like how you approach training. Do you have a coach? Do you follow a plan and maybe give us a little, any glimpses, any specifics, tangible things that you do in training that you think has helped in this early stage in your career? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't have a coach. I just coach myself. I kind of wanted, I want it to be that way. Like I just, I mean, I think I learned a lot at Colorado being coached by Mark Wetmore. Like Mm -hmm. he's one of the smartest guys I've ever met and great coach. And I found what worked for me there and what kind of didn't work. And, um, yeah, I think, and I think in trail, it's a little more simple to coach yourself compared to if you were running like a 5k, you know, Mm -hmm. like the 5k, there's all these different components of being like aerobically strong, but being able to buffer lactic and stuff like that. And I feel like in trail, it's not as much. Um, but yeah, like, uh, I've just tried to slowly increase my volume and be like really careful about it just since I had that history in college of being injured. Um, but like going into JFK, I ran like about a hundred, 105 miles a week for six to eight weeks. And then that would have between like 12 to 18,000 feet of climbing. And then like I said, one session per week at six minute pace or kind of below. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I put everything on Strava, just like a lot of people and enjoy oh, that. I can't wait to go follow you. 
Oh man, I think I, I follow you. <laughs> it's, yeah. Dude, I have not been running, man. I was, hopefully someday <laughs> I have the time to start start actually training again. But uh, it's a good time. But yeah, to I'll, I'll have though. to go look at your profile and get myself motivated to get my oh, yeah, ass right. off the couch. I've hardly moved in two weeks. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so yeah. I, that's curious though. I mean, like, have you ever felt the urge to like get a little guidance or direction in your training aside from Mike foot, are there other guys who you have sort of looked to as mentors at this point in your career? Like how, how, like, uh, how are you learning right now? Uh, yeah, like I definitely have asked Mike for advice in the past, um, usually about like what type of races to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my girlfriend, Aaron, like we bounce a lot of ideas off of each other. She has a coach. Um, but it's helpful to have like those people to talk to. Um, and yeah, like looking at other people on Strava early on when I started coaching myself, I read like, what's, what is that book called? It's like Arthur Lydiard's book. Uh, it's like the first book about training. I read that, but actually that didn't really (laughs) help. Um, but yeah, I've just, I think I just see, like, I know how a lot of marathoners train and like I follow a lot of trail runners on Strava and just kind of base it off of that. But yeah, man, a lot of it's just been by, by feel, you know, I, I sign up, like I, if I know what my calendar is, I'll like build a plan around that and know what type of workouts I want to do for the yeah. race and usually have like a really broad idea, like a 10,000 foot view. Yeah. And then each Monday of the week, I'll like write the training for the week, depending on what my schedule is. Cool. Um, that's kind of how I usually do it. And it's worked right now. Like I'm, I'm open to getting a coach maybe if things weren't working, but like, I, I like what I'm doing right now. Yeah. Well, good for you, man. So let's talk about the future, dude. I feel like you're sort of at a point right now where you could go a bunch of different directions, you know? And, and I think it's going to be important for you at this early stage and at this young age to pay attention to what really motivates you and not necessarily where the biggest opportunities are or where the biggest stages are, you know, which are typically like the hundred mile races. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if that's what motivates you, you know, by all means, I mean, I ran my first hundred when I was like 23 or something like that. Oh really? Which one? Leadville. Yeah. Dang. That's awesome. Yeah. 23 or 24. But, um, yeah, I mean, like for me at this point, I've said this to a few people on the podcast. It's like, once you get to the place where you are now, it's kind of the next step is to race internationally, you know, go over to Europe and and face off against some of the European athletes Mm -hmm. who are, you know, really, really good and different types of athletes, um, as a way to not only learn, but to improve in your career and gain more experience. Mm -hmm. What, uh, what, uh, what does next year look like for you? Have you started putting pen to paper and planning out your calendar? Yeah. So I've started thinking about it now that JFK is over. Um, you know, so my girlfriend ran Western States last year. Uh, that's where I saw you for the first time, actually, when you were in the tent announcing that was so cool. Uh, Yes, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Um, unfortunately she ended up dropping out at like mile 55. Um, just, it was brutally hot. And I think, yeah, we learned a lot, but, uh, I, I think like, if I think of the race that I want to do most or that gets me most excited, it's probably Western States. Like I'm, I'm afraid to run that far. And like, I'd love to say, like, I need another year, but like, 
honestly in a year, like I, I don't know what's going to happen in a year. Like, yeah. I just know right now things are feeling good. And like, I kind of, I, that's what I, my priority is right now. Like I kind of want to go for it. Yes. I'm thinking about it. Let's go. Yeah. Oh, I've been thinking dude. about a lot in the last few weeks, but yeah, it seems scary. Like I never thought I'd want to run a hundred like this early. I always mm-hmm. said it was going to be like, I don't know when I'm 27 or 28 or something, but I don't know. I kind of want to do it. Dude, I mean, again, that's the thing to listen to, man. It's like, what inspires you? What motivates you? And it's not like, I mean, you could wait. You could gain more experience doing shorter races. You could go win the Golden Trail Series, you know, sort of a... Mm a circuit of shorter distance races, but if, sure. yeah, if that's what motivates you, you gotta, you gotta chase that feeling, man. Cause that's what ultimately leads to success, you know, when you're driven yeah. like that, but obviously you can't just waltz into Western States and say, I'd like a spot, please. So yeah, you gotta qualify. Yeah. You, you're probably putting some thought into where you might qualify. I guess the, probably the next opportunity would be at, uh, Bandera in January mm-hmm. or maybe Tarawera in New Zealand in February or Black Canyon also in February. What what are you thinking about for your, your uh, swing? Yeah, I think it would either have to be Black Canyon or Canyons. Yeah. Um, yeah it, I've been to Bandera. That's how Aaron qualified last year. Okay. Um, and I'll actually, I'll be down there pacing a Hoka teammate of mine this year. He's trying to get his ticket. Nice. Um, but yeah, I think, I, I can't decide. Maybe I, I might need your input on this, honestly. Uh, <laughs> like Black Canyon is in February and then Canyons is in April. Mm-hmm. And so like, it would be awesome to have more time to train for this yeah. event, like a hundred K. But then if you do Canyons and qualify, then you have what, like eight weeks until states. It's, it's actually very close. I mean, and yeah. one of the things that you should think about young man as a, yeah. as a uh, grizzled veteran is... <laughs> I mean, dude, you're fit as hell. You just ran the second fastest time ever at JFK, even though you may have been sitting on the couch for a couple of weeks. If you get much. back to training for a little <laughs> bit, you're going to be flaming fit at by the time February comes around. You could easily smash Black Canyon. Plus, Black Canyon, I think, topographically mimics western states fairly well because it's a it's a net downhill plus it probably i think it usually has a little bit of heat too even though it's Mm -hmm. early in the season and then also at canyons it may be a little bit too much of a preview of the western states course it's like it's like beyond hillier than states yeah and it's much of it is on on the course itself so if you if you go deep to the well at that race in april and then turn around and run much of the exact same course at mm-hmm. Western States, like eight weeks later. Yeah. That but, seems tough for sure. Yeah. It seems tough, but, um, well, dude, that's super exciting, man. And as the guy who's going to be shouting into microphones for at least 20 hours, uh, come yeah, next crazy. June at Western States, I would absolutely love to see you on the start line there. And it looks like many of the returning or many of the top 10 finishers from last year are returning with the exception of, Jim Walmsley, but I know like mm-hmm. Hayden is all in on Western States for next year, feeling yeah. like he kind of missed an opportunity this year. I think Tim Tollefson is going to be going back, obviously a legend of the game himself. And oh, I think man. you would add a really interesting dynamic to the field. What about like a little bit more longer term? Have you thought about racing in Europe at all? Is there anything else 
that really like kind of speaks to you on a motivational level about a challenge that you would want to tackle in the future, whether it's a personal project or some kind of race? Um, yeah, I think if I didn't do States this year, although it seems like that is what gets me most fired up, um, maybe doing like CCC at UTMB would be pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Um, that was actually like my big, that's what I was thinking I would do. But then like looking at the winning times of like the average time you run at CCC is pretty similar to States. Yeah. And I was like, not not much further. Yeah. It's like, so 15 hours compared to 11 hours or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it would be really cool to run CCC or, um, I guess I'll have to see like if I, if I end up running States and like enjoy the hundred mile distance. Um, but like shorter trail races that look really cool in Europe would be like Sierra Zanal would be a really, really cool one. Um, and then it would be neat to try to do like how Hoka had the project carbon X with the hundred K I'd love to try to like actually run it. If they put it on again this year, yes. this year I paced it. Uh, which was super cool. Okay. I, so, I got to pace Walmsley for 35 miles at like 553 pace. Oh my God, dude. I can't um, even, I can't even tell you how much money I would pay to watch you and Walmsley and Hayden, like go out there and really push each other for that one. Oh I, man, think I have that to figure be... something out. Cause at JFK, my calves hurt so bad the last yeah. eight miles. Like and that, that's only 35 miles of pavement, not even pavement. It's like crushed gravel. So yeah. Yeah. If I did the hundred K on the road, I'd have to figure something out, do more, do more calf raises. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. Get in the gym, man. But I, I think again, dude, you could go so many different directions. And even if you do Western States this year, you could easily, I think at your age and with your talent, turn around the next year and go after the golden trail series and do Sierra all and the Mont Blanc mm-hmm. marathon and Zagama and maybe oh, come yeah, back to really the Pikes cool. peak marathon. I mean, yeah. I mean, you should really put a lot of thought into the whole arc of your career, start writing down what you want to achieve, because I really do think the sky's the limit for you, dude. I think you should even think about things like comrades and yeah, like the hundred K world championship and then oh, ultimately yeah, yeah. get out to UTMB, man. I think, you know, at your age, obviously don't get greedy. Don't rush anything. You got plenty of time to do everything, but I think you've got the talent to, to really make, make your mark on the sport and in the history of the sport. So. Dude, well, thank you. Yeah. I hope so. We'll see. Uh, yeah, it's been a good year so far, but, uh, yeah, it's hard with trails funny, like, you know, coming from track and field or cross country, like, everyone's just shooting for like the Olympics or the world championships. Right. But trail, it goes so many different ways and it's That's cool. It's so much better. It's pretty it's cool. So yeah. Much better. I almost <laughs> wish though that there was like one event that they're like, all right, this is it. Like, well, UTMB is that UTMB yeah, is that. That's what, yeah. 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 No, well, man, cool. it's really fun to get to know you, dude. I, I really do. Uh, yeah. Just like appreciate your time and, and also think that you've got, you know, the, the world at your doorstep and it's going to be fun to sort of follow the arc of your career. I actually want to just read your caption from the JFK 50, because I thought it was also great from your Instagram post. (laughs) And what you said is thank you to my friends and family for believing me in me. Thank you to Hoka for taking a chance on me this year. Your support has changed my life. Thank you to runner's edge Montana for giving me the flexibility to chase my dreams this year has been a big leap for me. I've put in more time and miles than ever for these moments, 
but it honestly doesn't feel like a grind. I love this sport. JFK 50, (laughs) five hours, 19 minutes, 39 seconds. And now my calves have turned to stone and man, (laughs) it makes me so happy, dude. You carry the vibe, you carry the spirit, you know, your, your love for, for the trails and and our awesome sport is palpable. And I think that's going to lead to a lot of big things in the future. So yeah, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. It's been great to to chit chat and look forward to continuing to, to follow your career. Yeah. Thanks so much, man. Yeah. Hopefully we can convince more college dudes to do trail. I <laughs> yeah, love that. Yeah, yeah. If if it's up to you and I, uh, the, yeah, the next few years are going to be very exciting. So thanks again, yeah. dude. Well, thanks so much for having me on, man. Okay. Another one in the bag. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you came away from it with a new athlete to root for for years to come. What a great kid. Again, this is the first time I've met Adam, his first podcast ever. And I received a few texts from other fellow Montana runners who really do think very highly of this kid personally and also athletically. So I am very excited to see what he does next year and into the future. Go follow Adam on Instagram right now. He only has like 1500 followers and I'm sure he would appreciate you going and giving him a follow. Send him a DM if you enjoyed the show. Let him know that you're going to be part of his fan section, part of his cheering squad over the next several years as he starts to make a real impression on the sport on both the domestic and international level, I would assume. Please also go to coppersport.com and buy yourself some great trail running compression and apparel products from this amazing brand. Thank you so much to Coppersport for sponsoring the show for the entire month of December. Thank you all for being here for another awesome episode. Lots more coming very soon, including another big announcement. Maybe as soon as next week, we will see. Watch the space. Love you mucho. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye.